fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If any one does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You, do not, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. On West Side, we are glad that you're here with us today. And let me just rush to thank you guys um, for the gifts and for the love um, I grew up a preacher's kid, and so um, there's an old saying that you don't ever want to see how sausage and government are made because you'll never want either one of those ever again. And so growing up a preacher's kid, the church is the same way. And so um, I remember when my dad had a bad board meeting, we moved. And the love that we feel in this congregation is just um, beyond words. It's also very difficult for me to try to accept something like this because of the team that we have from Frankie Moe, our secretary, John and Haley doing media, Adam leading the worship team, Nikki back there with the kids, Matt running the board. Guys, there is a small army of people that help do this. And for some reason, I get to get a microphone like I got it all together or something like that. And I don't. You can just talk to them for sure. You know, so thank you. We love you guys. Uh, Enough of the mushy stuff. Okay, let's get to it. All right. Um, We are in our series entitled The Upper Room. And we're looking at John 13 through 7. This is Jesus's last night with the disciples, and um, this is what he's passing on to them. This is his ministry, this is his legacy, and he's now giving it to those disciples. And these disciples are distinct because they are upper room disciples. They are the ones who carry the ministry forward. And what we're saying is, through this series, we're asking this simple question. What are the marks of an upper room disciple? 
Because my prayer for you and for this congregation is that we would be upper room disciples, that we would be the ones who take the message and the mission of Jesus and go forth and live that out. And if you see behind me, these are the marks that we have sort of pulled out each week in the passage, that it starts with humble service, that we are honest about sin, that we're healthy in community, that we're hopeful in heart, that we are helped by the Spirit. Last week was a big deal. Um, We said that the Spirit of God, what gas is to your car, what Freon is to your air conditioner, is what the Holy Spirit is to the Christian life. That the Christian life is a supernatural life. And this week, as you see, it's home in Jesus. And if I could, I just want to kind of as a way of introduction tell you a story. Um, it was about 2011 or 2012, um, close to a decade ago, I was a student pastor and we had worked all year long to raise money for the youth group to go to student life camp. And it was a big deal. It's a week long and it's just a special time for anybody that's in student ministry. And student life camp was in Roach, Missouri. Okay, there's actually a place called Roach, Missouri, and there's a great campground and all of this stuff. And so we raised a bunch of money and I always get nervous. Um, I used to get nervous taking students to an event because my mentor in ministry said, um, if you ever take students to an event that's boring, you've got one shot. Because if that event is boring and the next time you tell them to sign up, we're going to something, they're going to go, uh-uh, that last one was really boring and we're not going to this one. And so what made me nervous was, is I saw, they call them the camp pastor for the week. And there was no picture, there was no anything. And, and the camp pastor's name was Dr. Ed Newton. And I was like, if that is a boring name ever, okay? Sorry if your name's Ed in here, okay, right? But Dr. Ed Newton, and I was like, oh. And and I had been saved a number of years earlier, and um, I came out of a certain sort of lifestyle, and I listened to certain types of music. I'll just be honest with you. I was a hip-hop kid, and I know you're looking at me, and you're like, that's hip-hop right there. That white guy with glasses, that is hip-hop right there. And I thought when I got saved, I was gonna have to like do away with my Air Jordan and buy Dockers and like listen to Gaither music. And and if you love Gaither music, that's great. But it was just like, wasn't my jive. And so I was like, great. So I'm taking these kids to this event. And so we get there and there's orientation. And I'll never forget, they said, and your camp pastor for the week is um, Dr. Ed Newton. And this guy walks out on stage with hair down to his shoulders Beats by Dre around his neck, a backpack, Jordan gym shorts, and Air Jordans on his feet. And I thought, this is God's prophet right here, right? (laughs) This is it. That was attractive, but when he opened his mouth, he said this. He said, hey guys, my name's Ed Newton, and this week, um, during the day sessions, we're going to walk through the minor prophets, and at night, we're going to walk through the seven I am statements of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, open it to the book of Zephaniah. And I was like, this dude's about to preach the Bible right now. And then later on throughout the week, he was just preaching and preaching. And then he got to John chapter 15. I am the vine. 
And it was such a pivotal moment for me. I had never seen someone open up the scriptures, break the verses down, not only explain what they meant, but then to apply it to our life. It was a defining moment for me. I'd already had a call into ministry, but at that point, it helped me find my voice. And by God's grace, Ed and I became friends, and we're still in contact today. He's a pastor down in San Antonio at this big mega church. And a couple years after that camp, I just brought it up to him and said, man, you don't know how much you mean to me. That was such a pivotal moment. And, and that sermon on John 15 about abiding in the branches. And he gave me a resource. He said, oh, man, that actually, um, some of the, a lot of that stuff came from a book called Secrets of the Vine. And I was like, wow, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's all knowledge and all of this. And so I consume the book and I say all of that to say this to you today. I believe that if you lean in, that these verses in John 15 are so impactful and so important. Actually, a couple of years ago, we spent seven weeks just in John 15, 1 through 17. We called the sermon series Abide. We've got a bookmark out there for you, and you can take that, and you can study that. These verses are some of the most sacred, holy, but also at the same time applicable. And please listen to me. I believe that if you press in today, if you leave, just, if you just give me a few moments and leave the world's problems to the side, I believe that God has such a word for you today that it can change your life. That when we look at these verses and in John's gospel, John has a very favorite word. That if John was to describe in one word, if you were in an elevator or Uber ride with the Apostle John and you said, summarize the Christian life for me, jelly on the bottom shelf, man, what does this mean? What's this all about? John would say one word to you, abide. He would say, abide. It's so important that in the rest of John's letters, John uses the word abide 50 times in his letters. In the gospel of John alone, he uses the word abide 34 times. Now listen, the butter slides off my biscuit often, okay? I'm not the brightest crown in the box, but if there's a word that's used 34 times in a single letter, you're probably trying to get a point across, right? And what this word means in the original language is to remain in something, to rest or to be at home in, to reside in. Like many of you today on a dreary sort of Sunday morning and you had your cup of coffee, um, the devil came to you and said, boy, it's a good day to abide at home, isn't it, right? It means to remain, to be at home in something. And so if I were to just kind of say, what's the big idea today? Um, it's simply this, upper room disciples, upper room disciples are fruitful in their lives by making their home in Jesus. That's it. That in your life, that if you want measurable fruit in your life, and we're going to define what that is in just a moment, but what is this all about? 
It's about making your home in Jesus. Or to put it another way, I think John would would translate it in the um, JSV, the Jason Standard Version. It would say this, right? That the closer I am to Jesus, the better my life will be. The further I am from Jesus, the worse my life will be. Um, We would not have time to pass a microphone so people could share their stories and go, when I was far away from the Lord, my life was filled with this. I had no peace in my heart. And some of those stories would even be success. Like it would be, I had everything I ever wanted. I had the house. We did all of the Pinterest projects. We did every Pinterest project that I ever desired and wanted to do. And we had the labs, and we had the boat for Current River, and we had, every, we had all the stuff. And it was miserable until I realized I was far away from Jesus. Now, for some of you, maybe you're sort of peeking over the fence at Christianity. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long, long time, and today's your first day back. Listen, this is a safe place for you. I want you to know that, that we desire your presence and we honor your presence in this place. But I believe that Jesus is answering a fundamental question that every human being has. Um, It's getting ready to happen in a couple months. Um, everybody's going to get that gym membership and they're going to get that plan and they're going to do all this stuff because I believe that every human being asks this question deep down in their heart. Can I change? That might be addictions. That might be your marriage. That might be anything. But fundamentally, I think we ask deep down inside, can I really change? And listen, Jesus not only emphatically says yes, You can change. In these verses, he tells us how. He tells us how change happens in the Christian life. But before we do that, we have to answer some questions and sort of set the stage. Jesus uses a lot of language that's unfamiliar to us. He's like vine dresser, vine, and then branches, and fruit, and all. And we're like, what? Um, you got to understand something, that, that if I were to show you a picture of like a bald eagle and I said, what nation does this represent? You would say, America, right? With an M. You would say, America, okay? Um, Jesus is using symbolism in this passage to speak. The vine was like Israel's um, sort of logo, if you will. That in the gates of the temple, there were vine branches all on the gate doors. The vine represented the nation of Israel, God's people. And God, all through the Old Testament, is referred to as the vine dresser, the one that takes care of that. Nation. And so just to break it down, God the Father in the passage is the vine dresser, okay? And then Jesus, God the Son, is the vine himself, the source of life. And then the disciples are the branches. And that's why he has so much to say about the branches and all of that. That's to sort of help you jelly on the bottom shelf. But what is this fruit? 
There's all this mention of fruit in the passage, that you may bear fruit, that you may bear fruit. Now, if you grew up in church and maybe did like sword drills and you had the little sash, you immediately would say, it's fruits of the Spirit. It's fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, right? And then you've got sugar-free Kool-Aid for saying that. You know what I'm saying, right? Yes, um, but that's not all, okay? So, so how about this for a working definition? The fruit of the Christian life, this is a real important sentence, is the observable evidence of being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. For some of you, for the first time, a light bulb is going to come on. Did you know that the point of the Christian life, this whole thing, is about being made into the image of Jesus? That's why a great mission statement for a church would be that it's all about... Okay, I'm going to let you do that again. It's going to determine whether I preach angry or not, okay? That it's all about... It starts with Jesus, it sustains with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. This fruit, you cannot fake over the long run. Now, you might be for a little season of time, and that's what makes this Christianity thing so dangerous, man, that you can come into the community, you can learn the lingo, and when you hear someone say God is good, you say all the time, and they say all the time, and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to say God is good. And then, you, you know, praying for your brother, and amen, and, and you get a real big, thick Bible, and you carry it under your arm, and you do all this stuff, and it looks like it, man. You're like, wow, um... But over time, the love, the peace, this thing is supernatural. This is not man-made. This is a supernatural life. And when I hear of a wife with tears in her eyes say, he's changed. No, you don't understand. I've been with him since I was 15 years old. He has changed. Or a husband comes up and says, she's changed. Listen, you can fake it for a little bit. But what Jesus is talking about is the observable evidence that you are becoming more and more like Jesus. Listen, it's not about perfection. It's about progression. It's about stumbling forward, as we like to say it. And listen, there are seasons in our Christian life, and we're going to learn about some of those where we feel like the fruit isn't growing or the fruit isn't showing. And oftentimes people bail in those seasons in their life. But listen, I'm telling you, if you lean in for just a moment, Jesus is going to explain what's happening to you in your life. And so um, Adam and Josh, if I could get you guys to get this table, here's what I want to do today. I want to be as absolutely practical as possible. If you guys could just bring it right up here in the front. Back in Jesus' day and in the context, he's using vine, he's using branches. It was an agricultural society. And so if you had people in a grapevine, um, in, in a plot of land, picking grapes and doing that, they would have had wicker baskets, they would have set them on the ground, they would have done their vine dressing stuff, picking the grapes off, doing those types of things. But I want to show you something in the text that I'm hoping that your heart and mind will just open up. Jesus uses literally four categories of words 
in the text. The first one that he says, if you see it, he says that there's a basket that does not bear fruit. Or there's a vine that does not bear fruit. So, so the first basket has no fruit. There's no fruit coming off that vine for whatever reason. And then the second one, he says that it's not that there's no fruit, but there's actually some fruit. There's some fruit on that vine. And so you can put some fruit in that basket. But then when he gets to the third one, he says there's no fruit, there's some fruit. But then in the third basket, he says that there is more fruit. That it's a basket that had fruit, but the vine dresser does something to it and it produces more fruit on the vine. And then the last basket in verse 8, if you look at it, says much fruit. I love that phrase. Much fruit. Anytime I think of much fruit, I think about Buddy the Elf putting syrup on his food, right? It's like, yeah, man, it's like all of that fruit. So listen, there's no fruit, there's some fruit, there's more fruit, and there's much fruit. Here's what I believe. I believe that each one of these baskets represent a season or a period of time in the Christian's life. That there is a time and a season where there's no fruit, there's no relationship. And then there's a season where there's some. And then there's a season where there's more. And then there's a season where there's much. And hey, by the way, can we not be ashamed of much fruit? I think oftentimes people even in prayer requests or something, like, you know, when other people are like, man, I got this going on, I got this going on. And sometimes you're in a beautiful season in your life. And you're like, man, I don't even want to share that. I don't even, listen, let's not be afraid of much fruit. This is God's desire for, for uh, the Christian life and for your life to bear much fruit so the whole world can see that evidence and change. But listen, here's what I want to do. I want to look at each basket and then Jesus says that God does something. That there's something that God does as the vine dresser in one of the, each of these baskets that is an application to us in our life. So we have, what's this basket? No fruit. What's this basket? Some fruit. What's this basket? More fruit. What's this basket? Okay, listen, you're going to know what I say today. You might not like what I say, but you're going to know what I say, okay? So look, let's look at the first basket. Basket number one has no fruit. So what's the application? The application is repent. Because look at what Jesus says in the verse. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Now, unfortunately, that phrase, takes away, has caused a lot of controversy in the church. The phrase, takes away, can actually also be translated, lifted up. And I also think that there's evidence in the verse, uh, in the passage, when Jesus says, you are already clean from the word that I've spoken to you. And he's referring to the washing of the disciples' feet. Also, Judas has left the room. 
So I don't think Jesus is using the hellfire brimstone, right, that he removes you and takes you away, though Judas has left the room, but guess who else is in the room? Peter. And Peter's getting ready to deny Jesus three times and has already gotten into an argument with Jesus. What does it mean to repent? Now, many of us have grown up that this is a dirty word. This is a bad word, negative word. But in reality, it's the message of the Old Testament prophets and that it's the message of Jesus in his very first sermon. Jesus said, repent. And the word repent means the changing of your mind that results in the changing of direction. Or to put it this way, repentance is turning from sin and trusting in Christ. Now, many of us grew up with the first part of that message, turning from sin. So it was behavior modification. It was don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do, bad, 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 wrong, 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 sin, sin, sin. But if you only try to turn from sin and not turn to Jesus, anytime you create a change in your life and you turn from something, you have to replace it with something greater. That's why many of us try to white-knuckle it, get a grip on the sin, turn from it, and then four months later, we're right back because there wasn't a true turning to Jesus. So listen, I'm going to be very loving when I say this, but for some of you in the room, there is no evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ, of a real heart change and simple steps of obedience, whether it be through baptism or any of those things that, listen, I love what Adam said, that it's all about loving Jesus, that it's a relationship is what it's about. And so what is the application if there's no fruit? It's to repent. So how can we break that down even more? Well, well, here's a question that I have for you. Do you have, do you have a decisive moment in your life when you surrender to Jesus for the first time? Now, I'm not saying perfection, guys. I'm not saying that everything's great now and, and I kicked it and did all of this. Hey, can I tell you something? Like um, when I first gave my life to Jesus, buddy, that first year was rough, okay? There was still a lot of things going on that didn't need to go on. But do you have, can you say that there was a decisive moment in my life where I finally just tapped out and I said, I'm turning from sin and I'm trusting in Jesus. That's why last week we baptized 11 people. 11 people. And what was that? That was evidence of a decisive moment in their life. So listen, many times that when we face temptation or we're in a dry season in our life and then we begin to doubt our salvation and all of these things, the reason why I think we struggle with that is because we don't go back to the decisive moment. And we don't go, you know what? My feelings are not fact. 
My feelings are a poor guide, but they're a good gauge. This is how I'm feeling, and they're real sometimes, but they are not the ultimate north star in my life. And even though I feel like I don't have fruit, and even though I feel like I don't love Jesus like I should, I can go back to that decisive moment in my life, and I know that God sowed seeds in my heart and in my life, and that it's not about me, but that it's about Jesus. If there's no fruit, the challenge to you today is to repent and to really tap out and surrender your life. Now, the next basket, it goes from no fruit to some fruit. Oh, this is really good. What's the application of some fruit? How does it go from no fruit to some fruit? Well, it's reorganize. Basket number two is to reorganize. Look at what Jesus says in the verse. This is really interesting. And every branch that does bear fruit, and then he goes on to say this, every branch that does bear fruit, um, he prunes. He prunes. Man, I just wish so much. It was probably taught, but I didn't listen, okay? Pruning is not a bad thing. You gardeners know this. I don't, my, my fake plants die because I forget to water them, okay, right? It's a Mitch Hedberg, right? I mean, I'm just, that, that is not happening at all in my life of green thumb and all of that. But those of you who know that when you trim it and when you cut it back, it just blossoms and it blooms. Did you know that Jesus does that to us in our life? that there are unnecessary things and that there is baggage in our life that Jesus is going, oh man, I know you love that and I know you think you want that, but listen, that is going to keep you from bearing fruit. For some of us, it's relationships. For some of us, it's jobs. For some of us, it's experiences and situations. I think of, uh, you know, the great gospel song written by the great gospel writer Garth Brooks, Right? Thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Because Jesus, God is pruning and doing something in our lives. And so the challenge is, is when God cuts something back in our life, it reveals that we had things out of place. I mean, Jesus is going through the Gospels all the time saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what does this look like in our lives? Um, I'm reminded of like our iPhones, right? So, so our kids have some devices and, and any time that they download an app, it ends up showing up like on our phones. And I'm like, what in the world is this, you know? And so when you go to delete it and you hold the app and then they all shake because they're afraid they're gonna get deleted, right? At least that's what I think. When I look at it and I hold it, they're all so afraid, like, ah, am I gonna get deleted, you know? And then you reorganize the homepage. But, but most of you are probably like me that, that you put all the necessary, and important apps on that front page, right? I want easy access to this. I want to be able to do this. That is a great illustration of what it is to be a disciple. That, that when you go from no fruit and, you, and, and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, the next thing you do is you look up and you realize and you go, goodness gracious, man, these things aren't important. What am I doing? I've got to put God first in this, in my marriage, at my work, all of these things. Um, I just spoke to a really good friend 
who went to a pastor's conference. And there were um, really uh, kind of, you know, known pastors who had written books. And um, one of them was John Mark Comer, who's a guy that I love, and his books are great. And so he went up and he was talking to him. And he said, hey, John, um, what do you think is the most, or what do you think is the greatest threat to the church of Jesus Christ in 2022? What do you think is the greatest threat that we as pastors need to be prepared for and help our people with? And John Mark Comer answered super fast and said, that's easy, soccer. And he said, what do you mean? He said, man, never in the history of the West have people lived such unsustainable schedules in their life. It is unmanageable. And this will be one of the most offensive things I say. You wouldn't believe the emails I get when you talk about soccer or something like that, right? Because what it does is it reveals, listen, your money and your time reveal what you love. And all through student ministry, I would see families who would commit this to be important. And then sure enough, when they graduated high school and they went into college, they would schedule a meeting with me and sit in my office and go, they're not going to church. They don't, they don't think any of this is important. Hey, listen, it'll be really hard and it'll be really difficult. But the seeds that you sow in this season in your life, so, so listen, here's the application question for you when it comes to reorganize. What would it look like for you to make Jesus first in your life? In relationships, what's interesting is in 1990, the average church member who was considered a member and went to church often would go three Sundays a row in a month. As of 2010, the average is one Sunday a month. I mean, these things are changing. And listen, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. But the reality is, is that in this place, when we see God's people, when we study God's word, when we get involved, we are positioning ourselves to experience the power of God. That's like a man coming up to me saying, I'm married, but I don't really think I got to go home. Okay, how's that relationship going? What does it look like for you to tangibly make Jesus first? No fruit, repent. Some fruit, reorganize. Third basket, more fruit. More fruit. What's the application there? And it's to release. It's to release. Look at what Jesus says. He says, um, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the result from the second basket of some fruit, that when God prunes us and we go through a season in our life, and it's, hey, listen, I believe Westside through um, COVID went through a pruning season. I believe that uh, that happened to a lot of churches I mean, I've gone through seasons of serious pruning in my life. A year or two uh, prior to COVID, the pace that I was running at was unsustainable. And there were real decisions that I had to make in my life. We all go through seasons of pruning. And so with that, it leads us to more fruit. But here's what's interesting. 
that we know that one of the ways that a vine dresser would prune a grapevine is not just by cutting away the dead, but also if the vine dresser saw that some grapes were growing much faster than the other grapes, that's a sign of unhealth, and they would pinch the top of the vine. And when you pinch the top of the vine, it slows the process down. So listen, don't miss this. They can grow holistically. See, this is a great myth in the Christian life. When we get to things like in Galatians 6, the fruit of the Spirit, and we see them itemized, we go, oh, yeah, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that. Okay, joy, I feel like I'm good at. I feel like I've got that joy. Um, the peace, yeah, patience. Oh, man, the patience. I'm not going to pray for patience because that might, God might actually give it to me, you know, and all of this stuff. But the reality is, is listen, we don't grow like that. We grow holistically. That's why it says the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, that it grows holistically. And what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to grow holy in our life. And listen, once we begin to bear fruit, here's what we think. That every bit of growth that we see in our life, that it's all good. I got another job I bid that job, and, and now we've got extra income, so we must need to get a bigger house, and so now we've got this, and I've got some fun money, and so now we should do all, an extra time, and so we should fill it and do it with this. Um, I've shared this illustration with you before, but this is a picture of a man by the name of Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow is the tallest man on record who ever lived. He's from Alton, Illinois. Um, Robert Wadlow, when he died, was 8 feet 11 inches and still growing. When Robert Wadlow was 8 years old, he was 6 foot 5. Unbelievable, man. I mean, look this guy up. It's incredible. And so when Robert died, his body was donated to science. Come to find out, Robert Wadlow had a brain tumor that was pressing up against his pituitary gland, and it was making that thing work in overdrive. Here's what I'm saying. The tumor was a growth, but it wasn't a good growth. And when you get to this season in your life, the toughest decision for you is this. This is a good thing, but is it a God thing? When you begin to walk with Jesus, some of the most difficult questions are, wow, this is a good opportunity, but is it a God opportunity? Did you know that when Jesus turned his face to Jerusalem and was getting closer and closer and closer to Holy Week and going and dying on the cross, that he would be healing people and there would be crowds of people, tens of thousands of people. And he would turn to his disciples and he would say, all right, guys, pack it up. We're ready to kick rocks. He actually said that in the Greek. It's kicky rocket. No, I'm just kidding, right? And the disciples were like, look at all these people. I mean, we could plant a church here. We could, there's all of this. And Jesus would say this, my father's will 
my father's will is I need to go, I need to go to this next town. Jesus was able to distinguish between good things and God things. So, so the application question, if you were in this season of your life, is this. What do you need to let go of that's holding you back? And you know what it is. You don't even have to pray. And guess what? Here's what's going to make it so hard. It's probably a good thing. It probably is. But the question for you in this season and time is, is it a God thing? What is it that I need to release, let go of, let someone else take charge of so I can move on to the next phase? And the next phase, so we had no fruit, which is repent. We had some fruit, which is reorganize. We have more fruit, which is release. And then the last basket, which is much fruit. This is the best one. You ready? You just rest. Man, that's good news. Do you know what's crazy about Christianity? Is that you can't force the change. Parents, you know this to be true. You know this to be true in your relationship with your own children. But somehow when we cross over to our relationship with God, we think it's different. And religion is working by my own strength to gain God's favor. Christianity is grace. And grace says God has given you his favor because of what Jesus has done. And so Christianity, here's what's so crazy. You change by simply being with Jesus. That's how powerful his love is. And, and, and I love what Jesus says in the verse here. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And here it is. And so prove to be my disciples. Listen, if you were in this season and, and there is an abundance of things, of time, of resources, and it's just a beautiful season. Listen, I can tell you this right now, that I, I love the Bible right now in my life more than I ever have. And, and I get these little glimpses of much fruit. And I want more of that in my relationship with Jesus. But do you know what the temptation is? And this is your application question if you find yourself in this season. It's simply this. Do you really believe that this is the life that God wants for you? God wants you to bear much fruit. It's not the absence of circumstances. Don't get that confused. It's not, okay, when my marriage is operating like this or when the kids or when the schedule. No, 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 no. All of this fruit happens amidst the circumstances. Peace is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God amidst the suffering. So as we look at all of these baskets, I want us to recap as the band comes up to lead us in a time of response. What's the first basket? No fruit. The application is to repent. Do you have the decisive moment in your life that you surrendered to Jesus? And listen, if you're listening to me and you don't know when that is, look up here, don't miss this. 
today is the day of salvation. And you might be saying, well, well, well Pastor, I don't, I don't really know if God's doing anything in my life. Um, I do, I do. Do you know why? You're in church. You're like, well, I just came. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's what it looks like to you. But God's doing something in your life. Um, what's the second one? There's no fruit and then some fruit. And for some of us, it's, it's to reorganize. And listen to me. Oh, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. Your family is going to even ask questions, your friends. But can I tell you something? That the investment that you make at this stage in your life, when you get here, you will laugh at the level of difficulty that you thought it was. What does it mean for you to make Jesus first in your life? Listen, the first of the year is coming. I know we poke fun at that and this, that, and the other. It's a great time to set some goals, but to understand that we do it from God's love, not for it. Um, So we have no fruit, some fruit. What's the third basket? More fruit. And we've got to release some things. Um, For some of you in the room today, maybe you're dating. and, and, And listen, you're dating But deep down inside, you know, like, I'm using this relationship to just simply fill a void. I'm lonely. I'm bored. I don't ever see myself marrying this person. This is not a godly relationship. Listen, I'm telling you with all the love in my heart that it's time to let that go. Or the addiction. Or whatever it is. Listen, Jesus has plentiful. His hands are full full to give you something, but we cannot receive what Jesus has if our hands are full. What does it look like to commit our families? We have no fruit. We have some fruit. We have more fruit. And then what's the last one? Much fruit. And it's to simply rest. And for those of you in here today who are in this season, oh my goodness, praise God for you. What, what I want for you is to be invested in other people who are here in these stages. That's why things like Westside Men and Westside Women and the Fall Fest and all. Guys, I'm not a principal. I'm not like, wah, bah, 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 oh, you didn't come, okay, right? And then I go pray to God. Well, God, they've missed six Sundays in a row and they didn't come. No. Like, that's not what's happening. I feel that way, though, when I bump into you at, like, Walmart and you're like, hi, Pastor Jason, um, uh, the reason why we weren't, and I'm like, hi, hi, I'm a person and so are you, okay? And then everybody leaves and they're like, boy, talking to preachers is real awkward. I'm like, because you're awkward, man. Goodness. Listen, there's a reason why all of these things exist is because if, if, if you're in this phase, in any of these phases, but particularly if you are in the much fruit phase, if you're a mother or a father who's raised your children and now you've transitioned into grandchildren, listen, we got a whole, armies of, a whole army of mommies and daddies who are struggling with little kids, who are trying to do the schedule, who are trying. And listen, I don't care if it's out of your comfort zone. What they need to see is that God is faithful and that somebody's walked through that season and that there's hope. And just because there's a night when you're in the floor crying because the laundry's not done and the baby's crying and the bills are due and all of this for someone to speak into your life and to say it's just a moment, don't give up. 
It's just a season. Don't give up. You're trying to balance the jobs and the work hours. And when I work for my family, I'm not around my family. But then when I'm around my family, I'm not working. And, and, and what's the balance? We need older men to speak into those younger men and say, don't make any rash decisions. What you've got to do is keep Jesus first. Because what I believe that Popper Bluff, Missouri needs and what's going to change this town I believe it, man. Guys, I believe that we can change this town. That during COVID, churches are closed, but liquor stores are open and strip clubs are open. Guys, I believe that we can change it, but we change it by the love of Jesus. By sticking close to him. So here's the application for you today. What basket are you in? Where are you at? And then the next question is this, what is your next step up the stairs to become an upper room disciple? Listen, we're gonna come forward, we're gonna take communion, which how appropriate, we're gonna partake in the fruit of the vine of Jesus's life. I really want you to think about that before you come today. Please don't let it be a routine. Really ask God, God, what's next? What do I need to do? Father God, we come before you today so grateful for your word. God, to know that it's all right here. It's in the verses. We see it. And Jesus, your desire for us is that we would bear much fruit. That you are a good father who has good gifts for his children. And God, I pray for every area and season of life that's represented by those baskets today. But God, I have a deep burden, a deep burden on my heart for the first basket. God, I pray today that your spirit would move in someone's life and they would just simply say, man, God's been doing something. He has, I've been listening, I've been seeing, some things have been going on in my family and uh, I think today I'm maybe just supposed to pray. I think I'm supposed to come forward. I think I just, this moment, I feel God tugging at my heart. God, I pray for your boldness and for your power in that moment. I pray for the other baskets and seasons of life. There's so much weariness in this room. And God, the world beats us down. But praise be to God that the spirit that is in us is greater than that is in the world. And that if you raise Jesus from the grave, nothing is impossible for you. God, I pray that Westside Church would be a community of upper room disciples who abide in Jesus. And by simply being around Jesus, the change is evident. Holy Spirit, have your way with us in this place today. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious and the risen name of Jesus Christ. Amen.